The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message.
it's, and, and God says to us to honor our father and our mother. Honor your father and your mother so that it will be well with you. So that, and we, we broke that down pretty much. And um, our sixth battle, we looked at our battle with peace. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. Our seventh battle, we looked at our battle with purity. You shall not commit adultery. And that was last week. And also last week, um, last weekend, our eighth battle, we looked at our battle with integrity. You shall not steal. Okay, that was a week before. That was last week. Yeah. And our ninth battle is our battle with truth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And if you missed any of this teaching, I want to, even if you, if you were here for the whole series, I want to encourage you to, to get a CD and, or download the messages for free and, and listen to them. Listen to them. Your life will not remain the same by the grace of God. And today, we are looking at our tenth battle, which is, these are the deepest battle of every human being, which is our battle with contentment. God says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. And our text is in verse 17 of, of the chapter we've been on for the past couple of weeks, Exodus chapter 20. And today we are in verse 17. And it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's servants, male or female. You must not covet your neighbor's ox or computer or donkey. Because they're tools of work. You must not covet anything else. Anything else. Anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That includes your neighbor's husband. That includes your neighbor's car. You know, for some people, once their neighbor drives out of the, of the house, I mean, that's just a bad day for them because they're like, I, I, I can have so many brand new cars. You know, you must not covet your neighbor's kitchen. You must not covet anything that belongs. I mean, that's, that's actually reveals one of our deepest struggles as human beings. And the way Jesus approaches this, um, what we know as the Ten, ten Commandments, Jesus goes straight to the heart of it. In fact, he takes it to another level. Jesus always went to the heart of the matter. If you, if you read Matthew 5, 21, 22, then 27, 28, we, we read them through the course of this teaching. When Jesus says, on, on, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and, and the Bible says that this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that our ancestors were told, but told by Moses and by God that you must not murder. Jesus says, but if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But Jesus says, but I say to you, if you are angry with anyone, you are in danger. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger. If you curse someone, you are in danger. I mean, so Jesus just goes straight to the heart. And if you go to the next um, um, segment, verse 27. It says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Jesus says, but I say to you, even if you look at a woman with lust, it takes it. So when people say that when you are saved and you are under the grace, it means that, you, you know, you, there's nothing to do with the, the commandments. It's a big lie. Why? Because Jesus even takes it higher. Praise the name of the Lord. Only one person, okay, a few people got that. And he says, you've committed adultery in, in your mind, or your heart already. Praise the name of the Lord. So Jesus taught as he did to show us that God is interested 
in our inward state as much as our outward actions. Jesus chooses the approach or chose the approach he chose to show us that God is interested in our inner state as well as our outward action. The um, legalists, the, the, the Pharisees will say to us that our hearts are not important, that it is our, our, it is our action, it is what you do, and all that stuff. Jesus says, no, what your, is in your heart is as important as what you do. The antinomians, you know, say to us, I've explained antinomianism, right? I mean, a few weeks ago. And the antinomians say to us, it's all about grace. Once your heart is right with God, it doesn't matter what you do. It's just what is in your heart that matters. Jesus is saying, no, what is in your heart is as important as what you do. In fact, Jesus says in a place that Make a tree good and the fruit will be what? Will be good. Says, because by their fruits, you will know them. Out of the abundance of the heart, your life flows from your heart. So, with Jesus, we are not just to do right. With Jesus, we are to be right. We are not just to do right. That's religion. But Jesus says, we are to be right. And when you are right, right flows from you, if you will. So, when we are looking at the 10th commandment, which is our battle with contentment, it's interesting to see how Jesus approached the 10th commandment. In Luke chapter 18, verse 18, Luke 18, 18. And the word of God says that a certain ruler asked him, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? You know, many times you just want to give me the checklist, give me the the to-do list, give me what to do so that, give me the 10 points agenda to do so that I can just, you know, have life or I can have a breakthrough or I can, you know, and with, with God, it goes beyond what you do to who you are because it is who you are that determines what you do. Imagine this man is young. The scripture says he's a young man. He's rich. He's young. He's healthy. He has vitality. He's rich. He has, he has money. He's a ruler. You know, you can be, you can be, you can be rich and be and be sick, and you can be rich and not have authority. So he, he, was, he was young, he was rich, and he, he was a ruler. He was recognized in the community. He was probably benevolent, and it appears that he, he was going to church. I mean, this guy goes to church perhaps with his family every Sunday, or sometimes he makes it for tribe. Praise the Lord. And he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, give me a checklist. Give me a checklist. I'm up for the challenge. What must I do? Just give it to me and I will tackle it to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him in verse 21 to 22, interestingly, Jesus says, says to him, that, but, but to answer your question, you know the commandment. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and your mother. Then the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, I can imagine the guy went to Jesus with maybe a journal or maybe an iPad. And he says, give me the checklist so that I can take note of what to do. And Jesus says, um, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. The guy says, that's commandment seven, check. Done. And Jesus says, you must not murder. So that's commandment number six, check. Done. Jesus says, you must not steal. Steal, that's commandment number eight, check. Done. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Commandment number nine, check. 
Done. Honor your father and your mother. Commandment number five. Check. Done. I have done this since I was a child. Now, if you notice what is going on in this place, Jesus was setting him up to show the depravity of his heart. How many commandments were there? Ten. The first four were about God. Jesus did not mention any of the first four. The next six is about men, right? And Jesus mentioned five, six, seven, eight, nine. And stopped. You know, and the guy was like, oh, I've done this since I was a child. Imagine, I mean, what, what the picture that came to my mind is like, you know, when they, they, are, they want to give you an injection, you know, and they are rubbing that place with a um, methylated spirit, and it feels cool, you know, you feel cool. And it's not as bad as it is, you know. But when the nurse just puts it, what happens? The child screams, you know, and it becomes a problem. So Jesus was, was still cleaning the area, you know, and, you know, and preparing for the job. So Jesus went for the jugular. Jesus intentionally left out commandment number 10. Why? Because commandment number 10 is like going for the jugular. So Jesus went for the jugular. If you read verse 22 to 23, 22 to 23, Jesus says, when Jesus, the Bible says, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you have not done. The tenth commandment. He says, but this is how I'm going to apply it to you, young ruler. Sell all your possessions. Everybody say sell. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure where? In heaven. Don't, that's not all. Then come and what? Follow me in my itinerant ministry. But when the man heard this, he became very sad. Why? Because he was very rich. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. And that's a problem. That's the problem. When we, when we put our hope and our contentment in our possessions, we are setting ourselves up for disaster, spiritually, that is. When we put our contentment in our bank account, we are asking for trouble. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to redefine contentment for you, young ruler. Jesus is saying, contentment is not having all you need. Contentment is knowing that God is all you need. Big difference. He's saying, contentment is, is not having all you need and I'm satisfied, I'm content, I don't, I don't need any more. He says, that's not contentment. Jesus is saying, contentment is realizing that the only thing I need, the only person I need is God. Contentment is even if God says to you, sell everything and follow me, you know that you've lost nothing. That's contentment. You know, I mean, it was John Piper that said that he that has God and everything doesn't have more than he that has God and nothing. In other words, if you have God and you have 10,000 houses, 800,000 cars, you have billions and billions of dollars, it's fine. You are fine. But if somebody else has God and doesn't even have a single house or a single car, you don't have more than the person that doesn't have anything. Because God is all in all. If you have God, you have everything. So to God, so Jesus was saying to this young ruler, you know, you will sell everything and you will follow me. 
and, and it was sad. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because the 10th commandment goes to the heart of the heart of the matter. So Jesus was saying, in other words, that contentment is not being satisfied with possessions. Contentment is being satisfied with God. Contentment is not being satisfied with possession or positions. Contentment is being satisfied with who? With God. With God. Some of us, we think, oh, if I can get to that position, I will be satisfied. If only I can be married. A lady says, if only I can be an MRS. I'm like, what's that? I will be satisfied. Go and ask the MRSs. Some people say, oh, if only I can. God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, greedy. I just need a hundred million dollars and I'm okay. And we think contentment is in possessions. But Jesus is saying to you and I today that contentment is not in possessions. Contentment in finding satisfaction in God. And I want to, I mean, simplify this message in a way that if you get this, if all the teachings we've been doing on this Jesus, me or Jesus, if this is the only one you get, your life will change. If this is the only one you get, of course, you get many other things. I'm just saying how important this is. God leaves the best usually at the end. <laughs> and when you look at this young ruler, his life was full on the outside, but his, his life was empty on the inside. If you find out that your life is full on the outside and empty on the inside, there's only one thing God is saying to you. You lack my kind of contentment. You lack what? The God kind of contentment. Am I saying go and sell everything and, and come and follow me? <laughs> I don't know. I did, I'm not saying that. If God is telling you that, well, we'll check. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. If your fulfillment comes from your possessions, you have not even started your spiritual journey. Your spiritual journey starts when your fulfillment comes from your satisfaction in God, then you can begin to follow Jesus. That's where your spiritual journey starts. If you are clapping, clap. If you don't have to clap. But what is this? You are doing like this. What's, what's that? <laughs> Praise God. Your spiritual journey actually starts, that's where it starts, from God's kind of contentment. If you don't have it, you've not even started. I said, Pastor, you, but I'm born again. You've not started. It starts when it is only God that is everything. Not your car, not your house, not your assets, not your liabilities. Everything is God. That's the beginning of the journey. Praise the name of the Lord. So, <laughs> we sometimes, many times, we, we feel we are moral. So, that we really don't think we need God. We feel we are moral. We think we are, we are okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, I go to church. You know, I pay tithes. You know, I, I give offering. You know, I help the poor. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm better than, you know, a lot of people don't even do those things. I'm, I'm trying. And you see, when we feel we are moral... As good as that may sound, it can actually be a stumbling block to genuine spirituality. It can. Because a man who feels his moral, like this rich young ruler, will never love Jesus deeply. We never love Jesus deeply. But somebody who feels desperately in need of a savior will offer his whole life in gratitude to Christ. Just like the woman with the alabaster box of oil. She came and she broke it. And she, she was rubbing Jesus' feet. Kissing his feet. 
wiping his feet with our air. And, and Simon, uh, um, the, the Pharisee, said to Jesus, I mean, the scribe, said to Jesus, oh, I <laughs> said within himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known that uh, this woman is a uh, wrong girl. She's a prostitute. In fact, the money she's giving as offering, she collected it from men she slept with and Jesus was accepting it. What kind of prophet is that? And Jesus said to him, Simon, he was answering the heart, the question of his heart. I came to your house. You did not wash my feet. You did not anoint my head. And on and on and on. But this woman, as soon as I came, as she, she, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Why? Because as sins that are many have been forgiven. And to whom much is forgiven, the person loves much more. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, sometimes, I mean, we, we look at, I, I, I mean, I have friends that, say, that have said to me, what's your own? I mean, I'm, we, we too, we love Jesus. I mean, why is your own too much? I said, because my sins were plenty. Praise the Lord. <laughs> because my sins were plenty. And he forgave me. But you see, the truth is that even those of us that think our sins are not plenty, we really are not aware of our sins. All our sins are what? Plenty. If only we will see ourselves for who we are, we will fall at his feet in awe and love and adoration. Praise the name of the Lord. So when we begin to treat things like murder, adultery, stealing, lying, those are just symptoms. They are symptoms of the disease in our heart called sin. And symptoms, of course, doctors will tell us, Symptoms vary, and they can be suppressed. So somebody has um, malaria, the most common <laughs> disease, you know. Different people have different symptoms when they have malaria. Some people, their mouth becomes bitter. Some people, their mouth never becomes bitter. They just feel their joints are weak. Some people don't experience that. They just begin to break out in sweat. Some people run high temperature. Some people have headaches. And the point is this. If you keep attacking the symptoms, you will not solve the problem. If you, if you if say somebody is running in high temperature, you take cold towel and you're mopping his head, mopping his head, mopping, you just want to bring down the temperature, but is that a problem? Oh, your mouth is bitter. Oh, take a, um, sweets. Is that the problem? Your joint is weak. Oh, you take rub. You are rubbing it and rubbing it. You take, is it rub? Or what, is the, what are these things called? What's the generic name for them? Methylatum. And, and you are rubbing it and rubbing it and rubbing it. You are, you are just treating the surface. You have a headache. You are taking a paracetamol, trying to bring down the headache. You are treating the, the symptoms. But as soon as you take an anti-malarial drug and you attack the, the base, and the malaria parasite is out of your system. What happens to all the symptoms? They leave. God wants us to get rid of the disease. And the only person that can do that for you and I is Jesus. Our efforts can't. Our best intentions can't. So what matters most is not the symptoms you are showing, but the disease you are carrying. And Christ did not come to treat our symptoms, but to heal our disease. He came to heal our disease. Hmm. So, when, you, when we talk about being a Christian, we are not talking about the behavioral change. Many times, you know, unfortunately, church just try to make people behave differently. We, we focus too much on behavioral change. We say, oh, now that you are born again, you know, you cannot be painting a lipstick. Now that you are born again, you have to cover your head. Now that you are born again, um, what are those things again? You cannot be using laughing as in perfume. I'm telling you, I mean, they used to give us those rules. Now that you are born again, 
you know, it's, it's behavioral change. It has, look, <laughs> if you get saved, it's deeper than behavioral change. Jesus has not come to change our behavior. He has come to change our lives. He has come to change your life. When your life changes, obviously, I mean, your behavior, the behaviors will go. But that's not the problem. You see, the behavior is like the symptoms. If the behavior is bad, it's like the symptoms. I mean, just like a prayer meeting that um, was held in this church, not here. And there was this man that was leading the, the prayer meeting. And, and, and he was always saying, every time they come to pray, I keep, takes people to the southern place. And he says, oh God, clear the cobwebs of our minds. Oh God, clear the cobwebs of our minds. And there's this woman that always brings his, her son to the prayer meeting. And every time, every time, the man would get up and say, Oh God, clear the cobwebs of our minds. Oh God, clear the cobwebs of our minds. So one day, the little boy got up. As the man got up, I wanted to say, Oh God, clear the cobwebs of our minds. The little boy got up and said, Oh God, kill the spider. <laughs> you know, children, the way they think is different. You know, why are we always clearing cobwebs? <laughs> Kill the spider. Jesus has come to kill the spider. He has come to kill the spider. It's not just about clearing cobwebs. It's not just about the symptoms. It's about going to the heart of the matter. And salvation brings more than forgiveness. Salvation brings far much more than forgiveness. Far much more than than forgiveness. Salvation brings a life change. If you look at behaviors, there are different ways of changing behavior. Of course, there are different ways of changing behavior <laughs> that has something to do with Jesus. Different ways of changing behavior, but only Christ can heal the disease. Different ways of changing behavior that has nothing to do with Jesus. There are people that want to stop doing things and they can stop. They can change the behavior. People have stopped drinking alcohol outside of God. People have stopped smoking, chain smokers, outside of God. Three main ways people change behavior. Number one is pair. Number two is fear. Number three is Christ. Number one is pair. Pair, pressure, prayer. Pair. We all like to be in the community. So the fact that all your friends take their wives to church on Sunday and you too want to take your wife to church on Sunday so that on Monday you have something to talk about doesn't mean that you are coming to church because you love God. It's just because of prayer. Everyone in my office, their children are learning the Bible. They, they, they go to church. So you come to church because you just want your children to know the Bible. That is prayer. That is not from the love of God. And it could also be out of fear. I know men that stopped smoking because of the fear of losing a babe. So the girl says, I don't like you smoking. You have to follow me to church. And the guy's like, you know, men are very, I mean, calculating. He's like, if I don't follow this girl like this, I'm going to lose her. So he's afraid of losing her. So guess what? Chain smoker actually stops smoking because of fear. But one day, they woke up in the morning, married. The guy lit his uh, He said, I thought you stopped. I stopped because of you. (laughs) Now you are in the house. (laughs) Let me continue from where I stopped. Fear. So people can do things because of fear. And you have to be careful. The fact that you are changing because you are afraid that your wife will leave you. Or that you are afraid that your husband will leave you. Or that you are afraid that you lose your children. Or that you are afraid that you lose your health. Or that you are afraid of this. Or afraid of being caught. Or afraid of going to jail. Or afraid of that. Doesn't mean you're a changed person.
But the truth is, it is only God, only God, that can bring about lasting change in the heart of man. Only Jesus can heal the disease. So God just doesn't want us to do what is right. God wants us to be right. He doesn't just want us to do what is right. He wants us to be right. So many people understand Christianity from the dimension of forgiveness. And that's okay, but that is not... There's more to salvation than than forgiveness. Salvation brings so much more than forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness deals with the consequences of what we have done. But it does not deal with the source. It deals with the consequences of what we have done. When we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. And when he forgives us, it deals with the consequences of what we have done. But forgiveness does not deal with the source. Salvation brings much more than forgiveness. Salvation deals with, does not only offer forgiveness, but deals with those source. 2 Corinthians 5.17, my favorite, uh, one of my favorites. Okay, I'm sure you must have heard me say a lot of scripture. My favorite, my favorite, my favorite. One day someone said to me, Pastor, how many favorites do you have? I said, the whole Bible. <laughs> my well, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. In fact, the first book I wrote was based on this. I mean, it's so powerful. The scripture is so powerful. Changed my life totally. If a man is in Christ, if anyone belongs to Christ, he has become what? A new person. The old is going. The old will go small, small. The old is gone. And a new life has begun. You know, when Paul says, reckon yourself to be dead, consider yourself a new person. Don't consider yourself. My left toe got saved last week. Then my right index finger will get saved today. Then next week, my left thumb will get saved. No, the whole, the whole. So salvation is not about learning a new behavior. Salvation is about living a new life. Living a new life altogether. You're a new person. If a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. And that comes about by God's spirit. By God's spirit. God's spirit in us. Because we cannot achieve this by our strength. Obviously, I'm sure everybody knows that by now. Every adult should know that. It's by God's spirit. And one thing about, about this work is that it's so real and so tangible. I mean, I'm, I'm personally so happy that, you know, the way this, this old teaching, I mean, is, is gone and is going. On Saturdays, for instance, we have children coming. They sit in service in that corner. So they hear the word, at least from the adult church. So last weekend, after the teaching of last weekend, I heard that she must be six or seven. I'm not sure if she's seven. I think she's about six. Six-year-old girl sat her mom down. She said, mom, we need to talk. I mean, when a six-year-old says that, mom, we need to talk. <laughs> and the mom, okay. And the six-year-old girl said to the mom, mom, tell me, am I a giver or am I a taker? Uh, you, you didn't get that. You were not here last week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, be, last week we, we talked about me, the giver, the taker. I mean, so for me, I'm like, wow. That's big. And a six-year-old can engage us in those kind of conversations. Am I a giver or am I a taker? So when they told me, I was like, wow. So what did the mom say? <laughs> So it is God's spirit in us that makes these things possible. It's not by power, it's not by might, it is God's spirit. 
and he's promised us in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 26, Ezekiel 36, actually, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, this is God speaking. It says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you. Why? So that you will be able to follow my commandments, my decrees, and be careful to obey my regulations. In other words, without the spirit of God in us, we will struggle to follow God. So, God is saying, yes, don't covet, but like we learned, that the, the commandments of God are also the promises of God. So God is saying, not only don't covet. Don't covet is not only a command, it's a promise. Don't, you will not covet means, I will empower you not to covet. God's spirit in you will empower you not to covet. So if you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it will just be religion. And we're not talking about those and those of religion. We're talking about living a life full of God that is enviable to the world. Living a life full of God that the people around you, without you talking, the people around you can say that there's something about this lady. There's something about this guy. And God will empower you in that regard and much more in Jesus' name. We all know the story of David. David, the king, was supposed to be in battle. He was at home. And he was taking a stroll on the top of his roof. And he saw a lady having a bath, Bathsheba. And David slept with Bathsheba, somebody else's wife. David, in a bid to cover up, you know, when you, when you do something that is wrong, it's bad enough. But you see, when you try to cover up, you just mess up things. You really mess up things. So David tried to cover up and he messed up things further. And David said, when he was confronted by Nathan, Nathan told him that you, God took you from nothing. God made you someone. God did this to you. See how you have responded to God's kindness. And David was broken. And David wrote the famous Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. You know that scripture? According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. And went on and on and on and on and on. But you see, in verse 10 of Psalm 51, David says in verse 10, Create in me a what? A clean heart, O God, and renew. Can you see that? A loyal spirit within me. A right spirit within me. Renew the right spirit within me. <laughs> so, Lord, David was saying, Lord, deal not only with my sins, but with the heart that made me do it. David knew that it's not just about forgiveness. Okay, God, have mercy upon me. Forgive me. He could have stopped in verse 1. But he didn't. So David was saying, in essence, that if you don't, if you forgive me my sins and you don't change my heart, oh God, it won't take long before I, I go back. So David was saying to God, yes, you have forgiven my sins. Yes, you will forgive my sins. 
but also give me a new heart. Create in me a new heart. Change my heart. So when you have forgiveness of sins without a change of heart, you have a repetition of sin. And that is why, I mean, it's just a problem, I mean, largely today, I mean, in the church, when I say church, I mean capitalist, I see church, you know, we have a lot of people that go to church, they want forgiveness of sins, and God magnanimous enough to forgive us, but maybe because it's not being taught, I don't know, but not many people really want a change of heart. You know why? Because they still want to go back to Bathsheba. They still want to go back to Bathsheba, but have the blood of Jesus as, as a talisman in the house that they would just sprinkle on their head. What, what do you want, really? Do you want forgiveness only, or do you want a change of heart with it? Do you want only the symptoms to be sorted out, or do you want the whole package that will deal with the disease? Do you just want paracetamol, or do you want it with uh, chloroquine? What do you want, really? What, what do you want, really? And you see, when you start confronting these serious and deep questions, and you start wrestling at a deep level, you will see a total change in your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. So we need more than the medicine to relieve the symptoms. We need a great physician. To heal our disease. God is saying to you and I. The heart of contentment. Is all about being secure in God. The heart of contentment. Is not about possessions. Or positions. The heart of contentment is in a satisfaction. In God. And when we come for forgiveness, which we all need, we shouldn't just take forgiveness. We should also take what? A heart change. When you've come to heal malaria, you shouldn't just take the paracetamol. That will take care of the headache. If you do, what happens? The headache will resurface. You take also the chloroquine that will take care of the paracetamol. When you come and there's cobwebs and there are cobwebs and there are cobwebs, you don't only pray, oh God, clear the cobwebs. You pray, oh God, Oh God, kill the spider. Let's bother our hearts as we bother our heads. I want us to just talk to God. Just you and God this morning. I told you I'm going to make it simple. So that we get it, we get the heart of it. Talk to God in your own way. There are some of us in this place, you need to say to God, I need to be saved. I need forgiveness. I have never given my life to Jesus. Oh, you are saying, Lord, I used to be born again, but I'm backslidden. Can I come back to you? God is saying yes. Pastor, what do I need to do? Do I need to come out? No, you don't. Wherever you are seated, I want to pray with you. I say, Pastor, that is me. Pray with me. I want to come to God. I want to repent. I want to ask for forgiveness. Put up your hand now over your head. I will pray together. Wherever you are seated. Put up your hand, put up your hand. Well, well, well. God bless you. Over your head. Over your head. I will pray together. I will pray together. I pray together. That's me. If you are online, the instructions are scrolling. That is me. Put up that hand. I will pray together. The instructions are scrolling if you are online. 
Yet some of us need to say to God today, I have just been coming for forgiveness. I have just been coming for paracetamol. I have just been coming for the clearing of the cobwebs. I need a change of heart. I need a chloroquine, oh God. I need the spider killed and dealt with, creating me a new heart. Talk to God. That is me, Lord. Talk to God. Because as we walk away from here today, the radiance of your presence will glow over our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. All right, glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name, we are prayed. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord.